Amen. We're going to see one of the reasons he's so worthy today. We're going to get to see a little picture of his heart today. And we are continuing in this series on the parables, the power of the parables. And man, there is so many wonderful things. And we're concentrating right now on the parables of Luke. And so we're going to look at today, continuing in that Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at the heart of the shepherd. We looked at these verses a little a few months ago. We're going to dig in a little deeper today. And we're going to see Jesus and God's heart in this parable. of He's revealing himself to you and I. Amen. I, I, I remember when uh, you, you meet someone you, you really care about and you and start wanting to spend your life with that person. I remember when I met Marie and started spending time with her. You get to the place that at one point you begin to want to pour your heart out and you, that you let them know who you truly are and you give them depths and nuggets that no one else knows about you. Well, this is the Lord in these verses is doing that about himself. He loves us and he wants us to see the heart and the love of God for you. This isn't, you've got to understand these verses as we read them today. This is not just talking and addressing these Pharisees that he's talking to, he's talking to you and me. And this word today is for us to understand what happens in the heart of God toward the lost. Today we're going to look at the first seven verses of Luke 15. If you've got that, you'll stand this morning. We're going to look at the first seven verses. Verse 1 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What manner or what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The heart of the shepherd. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have a love that we can't even wrap our mind around, Lord. You love us so much, God, that you gave everything for us. And God, we are not worthy of that love, but God, yet you gave it and you still are giving it. And Lord, I pray that God, that we would see your love for us. And God, it would cause us to want to reciprocate our love back to you. And that God, there would be, Lord, an even closer appreciation and love for you today. And that you would minister, speak through this preacher and meet us in this altar. Oh, Lord, in your holy name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The heart of the shepherd. When you read this chapter, in fact, this is uh, in this these verses of this chapter, you've got probably the most uh, famous of the parables, and that's the, uh, the uh, lost son. That's the, the uh, prodigal son. 
But this, this is part, that is part of a trilogy. In fact, it says that Jesus, it, it, it keeps going and it goes into that parable. There are three, it's like, um, it's not three parables, but it's actually one with three parts. It's kind of like some of the songs we've sung this morning, that it's one song with one chorus, but it has three or four verses. It's different angles from the same exact thing. And so Jesus, especially when he gives us something and he gives it to you, Three different ways to make sure that it hits home. He's telling you it's something that's important he wants us to grasp. And so this morning, these Pharisees, what he's dealing with here today in, in this verse 1, there was, there was really turmoil over what happened in verse 1. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. You, these, these scribes and Pharisees wanted the front seats and they didn't want anybody else around. They were the ones that were worthy. And it drove them crazy because these sinners in their eyes would flock around Jesus. And they didn't understand it for one thing and they didn't want no part of it on the second thing. They didn't want to. These people didn't live up to their standard. And these people weren't holy like them. And they had no right to be in the presence uh, of, of someone teaching. They, they looked down upon them. And so... It troubled them because these sinners was flocking to Jesus. And so you have to ask your question because this morning we have to kind of drag people that sinners into the house of God sometimes. So what's the difference? Sometimes I'm convicted by that because you don't see people flocking into the house of God that are sinners. But when Jesus came, it was different. Why did they flock to him? What was different about him that made them want to hear him? Because it says, you know, you're going to see sometimes that Scripture says, and so that he would touch them, perhaps touch them and heal them, they came. But if you read that verse, it says, they came for to hear him. Why is that? You see, Jesus was different than these other religious leaders. You know, they, the, the other religious leaders, they would sit there and from the, from the pulpit, they would tout the wrath of God and how vile they were and you're not worthy and we are, but you're not. And they felt unworthy all the time. They never was able to meet up. And none of them, even these religious leaders, weren't able to meet up to the righteousness of God. They just thought they were. Because it said, no, not one. Not one has ever lived righteous, but one, and that's Jesus Christ. So we see that they, they were being all the time, just they felt worse when they went to church than before they came, probably. But there was something different about Jesus. You see, Jesus was, he came from, uh, from the glory of heaven, and he came for one purpose, and we see what that purpose was, that he came to save sinners. That's who he came to save. It's, we see that in 1 Timothy 1.15. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. It says this, that Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, came into the world. Why? To save sinners of who I am chief. This was Paul writing this. That was the purpose of Christ Coming. It wasn't come so that he could lift up and make the religious leaders who were vile on the inside and put a good front on the outside, but he came to find those that knew they were lost and to give them hope. And that's the reason we can be saved today because of that good news that he came to spread and to let them know that God came not to beat you down, but God came, he came with a message of love and mercy, and grace, and it was by faith that by putting your confidence in God and trusting in Him, He will give you His righteousness. Well, this is something they've never heard before. God loves me. 
God does not hate me. God is not looking at me with wrath, ready to strike me down because I'm not worthy. You mean God loves me? Boy, that's a message that people needs to hear and wants to hear, isn't it? God's mercy that's being extended in man. And when he told them, it was not just somebody telling the story. It was God talking for himself. And it was, you could, they knew, they knew he loved them. They knew he loved them. And so, because he would minister to them. And where did he come? He come right where they were. He didn't make them come to him. He ended up where they were. He would move to where they were. And so this, this was one of the greatest struggles that he was dealing with. And one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, the scribes and the Pharisees, because he was moving the hearts of the people away from them and their control. And God was being exposed as grace and merciful. And this was contrast to what they were teaching. And so therefore it caused there to be such a, a tear between them that they pursued to kill him. This, this Jesus not only came to minister to them, but he healed them. And he even sat. They complained because he sat at tables and ate with them. Yeah. How in the world could he ever come and fellowship with a sinner? Yeah. How could he sit at a table with someone and clean? But Jesus was so in love with these people, he wanted to be where they were. He wanted to be in fellowship, in communion with them. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go... Uh, where all the sinners are and go sit in the bars and hang out with them and, you know, be part of it. But I'm telling you, but here's the deal. If we expect that we're going to reach the lost sitting right here, we're wasting our time. We're not going to reach them in here. Sometimes, yes, sometimes they're in such a state that they'll be driven through the back door. But for the most part, they're out there. And if we don't, if it's just like this. Christ shows us that if we've got to go where they are. We've got to show the love of God just like he did. When you got saved, you may have gotten saved in the house of God, but Christ met you out there to get you here before you ever got saved. And some of you got saved out there. It's only because that he came after us where we were that we have mercy and grace and got saved. I thank God that he found me in my lowest point. But he showed them the community. We've got to go to where they are. We've got to let them see the love of Christ. And so he came where they were. And boy, this just tore up the Pharisees. And so Jesus responded. And he showed them five things. He's saying, you don't understand the heart of God. You're supposed to represent God, but you don't. In fact, your, your heart is all toward yourself. You think that you please God, but you don't. And you are pushing people away from God instead of pulling them toward God. And he's going to reveal the true heart of God to explain. This is why I, I eat with sinners. This is why I minister to sinners. This is the reason I touch them and meet their needs. Here's why. Because we're, he's going to reveal five things in this parable that he gives of this shepherd. The heart of the shepherd. We see the first thing he reveals. That a good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows who they are. It says in verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep. If he lose one of them, just one. You see, the only way that you would know that you lost a sheep is if you knew the sheep. The only way is if you're taking inventory and we see that, uh, that you're looking through your sheep and you're counting them and you're looking for where's Snowball and where's, where's Stripe and where's, you're looking for your sheep. You have, you have pets, you have names, don't you? 
and you get in your yard and your cat or your dog could be in the neighbor's yard and you holler for yours and they know your voice and, and they hear you and they know that's good things when they hear your voice and here they come running, right? We know when our, the things we love is missing. Now, this was even more extreme. You got to look at, you got to look at this because it says if you, and he's using a round number. He's using a big number. It'd be hard to know a hundred sheep, wouldn't it? But there, this shepherd knows his sheep. We see that Eastern shepherds, the culture of this time, was many times that during the day they would travel out and they would go find their own places so that their sheep could eat. And they would spread out and graze. But at night, for the protection of the night, because there was things out there trying to get them, they would many times corral them up in a pen or get them in some enclosure to where several shepherds would actually flock together and bring the sheep all together in one big herd. And they would then sleep around the outside of this pen or wherever their enclosure was so that they would protect the sheep from any predator that would come in with their staff and their rod that they would drive it away. Or, and together they would kill this predator that would try to take out the sheep. But we see that there was a difference. And so can you imagine? That makes it even more complicated. There's three or four different shepherds here and there's three or four or five hundred sheep there. How in the world would they never, ever be able to get their sheep all separated again? They're going to lose them. I mean, you would be thinking, I'm going to lose a bunch of sheep tomorrow morning. They ain't gonna, I ain't going to know which one of my sheep are. And, uh, but we know that that's not, that isn't the case because he was able. He knew his sheep. He knew them. And so there was also, there was also a, 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 a little chant or a little song that he would sing. And they would be able to step out of the corral and they would sing their little tune or they would say their little, little chant that they would say. And their sheep, knowing that meant food, that meant dinner, hey, that's my shepherd. And they would come following him out because they knew he was taking them to good things. And his would separate. Now, he knew if he was missing. You know, it's hard to keep up sometimes, isn't it? With I, my, my, I, now, my, me and my brother, I had another brother that, that, that lived for about an hour, so Matthew, but my, me and my brother, it wasn't hard to tell if we was... Uh, if we's all in the car because there's only two of us. You know, sometimes that's even confusing. I left my son a time or two at church. I don't know how we did that. Two kids and I leave one at church, although we had two different cars. And so I've done that. But, um, I'll, but my wife, I'm trying to keep up and tell, you know, when we look at sheep, don't they all kind of look alike to us? They're all white. Maybe, maybe someone's got a different back, black patch or something. But for the most part, you're thinking, how in the world could they tell the difference between them? They all look the same to me, but they could. Because he knows his sheep. That's how he could tell the difference. My wife's a twin. I couldn't keep her separated from one person half the time when I first started dating her. But it wouldn't, didn't take long because one loved me and one hated me. And so I didn't it take long to find out which I'd, I'd picked the wrong one. And so I had, oh, I was just kidding. I knew that. Well, no, I didn't. I couldn't tell the difference between them. They were so much alike. Marie's, uh, Marie had, and I know like dad, Marie's family had uh, a large family. And when they went somewhere, they had this, before they started coming home, because they got burned a few times of this, they started counting kids. You, did you have to ever do that? You have enough kids? You're counting, you've got 10 in the car. Somehow now you get 10 in a car, but you're sitting there, one, two, three, four, you know, you're trying to make sure you got all the kids before you go home. And I know, and I was remembering growing up on the bus route, on the uh, First Pentecostal bus route, you know, they could be 68 or 88 on one of on the bus dad was captain over. And, uh, and I remember he would, that we kept good records on the way to church. And if he had 68 on the way there, before we could pull out of that parking lot, there's got to be a count 
Make sure everybody gets out of the floor and stand, set up, set up first. Bailey, I got to count. So you got to count till you get to 60. Okay, now we can take off because if it's 64, we got to go back inside. <laughs> we got a problem here. We got to figure out who's missing. But the shepherd knew his sheep. He knew that someone was missing. They spent so much time with these sheep. They got to know them. They got to love them. They would laugh at them, some of the little, little quirks that they had, or they would laugh at the way they would eat or this, you know, how they would treat each other and things like that. They got to know them just like your pets are with you. You get to know them, and you end up loving them, and somebody else better not mess with your pet. You know, to them it's not important, but we get to where we know them. And this shepherd knew his sheep. He knows God knows who you are. He knows every detail. He knows if you're missing. He knows if you're hurting. He knows what you need. He knows every detail. God is revealing to us here, first of all, He knows it when you're missing. He knows it when you're lost. He knows the condition. Not only does the good shepherd know his sheep, he loves his sheep. How do we see that he loves the sheep? Verse 4 goes on and tells us another little piece of information. It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness. That he would know out of all those sheep mixed in with everybody else, he knew one of his sheep was missing. He got looking and finally he realized, and for the, it doesn't say this, but I'm going to, for the sake of it, he says, wait a minute, I'm looking through, there's one, snowball, snowball's missing. I don't see snowball. And he starts calling and he can't find him. And he looks through all the sheep and he realizes one is lost. One is still out in the, in the field somewhere, and it's getting dark. And he looks, and he realizes there's 99 here. Only one is out there. It's getting dark. There could be things in the dark that I have to deal with. It's dangerous for me to go. But his heart is that he loves the sheep. You know, this is the difference between we're, we're dealing with these Pharisees, and if it was one of these Pharisees was over the sheep, they would be like someone who is a someone who owns sheep instead of who's the shepherd. It's one thing to own something. It's another person to actually deal with it and to be with it day to day and love it. Some in these corporate ladders, there's people way above some people, and they can make decisions. That job's gone, and that job's gone, and that job's gone. They don't even feel it. But when it's your people that's right under you, you feel it because you know that person. You talk to that person every day. You got to where you really like that person. And it makes you hurt if you think that they're going to hurt. At least I hope you're in a boss here that way. But the way that the shepherds are, he's talking about there's two different things. We can have a heart that's calloused and indifferent, but we, or we can have the heart of the shepherd. You know, David's heart was smitten because he loved sheep. We know he was God made him a, a great shepherd over a nation because he first let him be a shepherd over a flock. And he learned to love them and raise them and care for them and protect them. So he understood sheep. And Nathan, one day, of course, David had been sinning. And David found himself in a really bad spot. And David fell into deep sin. And we see that he tried to cover his sin and he ended up taking a man's life. He used another way to do it. He used a, a military battle to push him out to where he'd get killed. And so he tried to cover his sin. David thought, okay, well accomplished. Well, God doesn't leave us there. He wanted him to feel it. And so no better way to feel it for him to talk to him about sheep. And so he sends the man of God, Nathan the prophet, comes to him. And he says, David, let me tell you a story. He says, let me tell you something. There was a man who had a little sheep, a little lamb. That's all he had. He loved that sheep. In fact, it wasn't a sheep. 
He'd raised it as a pet. And they fed the thing. And it slept in the bed with them. And it was just, it was the family, it was a member of that family. And they loved it and nurtured it and just, it was the prize of that family. The next door neighbor was a rich man. And he had many sheep. A neighbor come to visit him. And he said, he came in the, in the, in the night and he took the sheep, that, that pet lamb that was their pet. And he killed it. And he cooked it. And he handed it to that man that come visit him. And he fixed it up on a platter for him to eat. David was wroth. What do you mean? He, his mind goes back to his pets. The ones that he carried all the time. The ones that he loved. And he could see somebody taking his pet and killing it so that he could feed someone. When he had all the sheep of him, his own and he wouldn't touch his own. He was selfish and took someone else's. David said, that man, you reveal that man and he's a dead man. And then Nathan put a finger on his nose and said, you're the man. You're the man. You see, we, we sometimes are calloused when it's somebody else's possession. Sometimes we can be calloused when it's something that we don't feel. But that's not this shepherd. You see, this shepherd is the one that loves the sheep. This is the one. And what it's talking about when it says leave 99 in the wilderness, that this, is, this parable is not saying that he left them in danger because we know that this Eastern culture, they would have been left in the fold. The key here is not to focus on the 99. What he's trying to show is worth of the one. He's saying that these 99 are valuable and he loves them, but he loves that one so much he's willing to go back out into the dark of the night to find that one. Why? Because he knows the outcome if he doesn't. He knows that this end is in sight. For this one sheep, there's going to be destruction, complete destruction. The enemy is looking for that sheep too. And if he doesn't get there first, it's all over. And he loves that sheep so much that he's willing to go out. And we see that he reveals the heart that he has for you and me in this story. You see that he is in the splendor and the throne room of God. He is being worshipped and he is holy and he has no problems. And yet because he looked at us and he seen that we were lost and we were destined for destruction and the enemy was coming after our soul and if he didn't intervene, it was hopeless for you and me. He came out of his comfort and he came into where you and I were so that he could save us. He loved us that much that he, his heart, was to come looking for us. So we see that the good shepherd knows you. He knows what you're going to, and he loves you. Does it amaze you like it does me that he knows me? He knows me, and that's amazing, and he still loves me. I have to let that sink in a little bit. He knows you and still loves you. Man, that's an amazing thing to me because I look at myself many times and say, God, I know you know me. And I know it says you love me, but it's hard for me to think that because I don't love myself. as I mean, you know, I guess really maybe we love ourselves too much. But when I look at myself, I, I feel like, Lord, I could do so much more. How do you love me? But he does. He's revealing that here, that he would leave the 99 to come for you, to come for you. He goes on and it says, number three, the good shepherd pursues his sheep. It goes on in verse 4 and says, and go after that which is lost until he find it. He doesn't give up. He's leaving the 99. 
He's going out into the dark. He's not going through some just formal, uh, just going down the highways and just hollering a few times to come back and say, well, I tried, boys, and I couldn't find it. No, it says he will pursue until he finds. He will not give up. This shows the importance of one lamb to him that he will pursue until he finds. I remember... uh, and I might have told this before. I remember thinking about being lost. I, I remember, you've got to rewind your mind. And some of you young people, this just isn't possible before cell phones. And uh, you can't imagine what it's like to have life without a computer or a cell phone. And so I hated those days, hated, 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 to go on a trip because Dad loves atlases. I did not. I was a nervous wreck. And I just knew I was going to get lost. And I, we was going to have conflict in the car. My wife's looking at the atlas. And you're supposed to turn up here. You just passed it. And I was just stressed out of my mind. I, just, I was afraid to go anywhere new because I knew I was going to get lost. And Dad would be telling me, well, that's easy. You just go through Atlanta and you do blah, blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's easy for you, not for me. I hated, hated. One of the most blessed things is when they come up with GPS. And then when everybody's got a smartphone, has got one in your pocket. Boy, I tell you what, where are we going to go? How are we going to get to anywhere without, if that technology ever goes away or something happens to our satellites? But before that happened, way before, and you couldn't talk to somebody, I remember having to, uh, my wife would need me, and I'd have to go hours. She'd try to find me on my route, but call stores to find out if I'd been there yet, and then leave a message, have him call me, have him call me when he gets there, and it'd take maybe a couple hours to find me. So I, we couldn't talk, but I remember we was on our way to Florida. My brother was going with me. And uh, we, uh, we headed out, and his, the plan was, I knew kind of how to get there, uh, basically. I'd been in that area before, and he hadn't, so he was following me. You ever been that way? You're following behind somebody, and you're trying to make sure you're right on their tail because you're coming up to a light or something, and you're afraid you're going to get caught and them go on. And so he did really good all the way to Florida. And we got about an hour or 30 minutes from our destination. And got a little careless. I guess I wasn't watching to, to make sure he was going to get the stop. And I went through an intersection. It couldn't stop. And he did. And now we were in trouble because there was no way for him to call me. There was no place for me to stop, pull over. And before I did, he, we were separated. I, so we were about 30 minutes. So I didn't know what else to do. So I waited and looked around and tried to find him. And I'm like, I've lost him. What am I going to do? I mean, he was young. And so I finally, we went on and found our, our place where we were going to stay. He had no idea. <laughs> and so I called mom and dad back in Kentucky. I'm like, mom, dad, I've lost Carl. I've lost him. He's down here somewhere. We got lost in the intersection. He has no idea where he's coming to. I don't know what we're going to do. And so dad, I don't know what he thought he was going to do. He was telling mom they was trying to get, he's getting ready to get packed up and head to Florida. And going to find him. And I'm thinking, if I'm down here and you can't find him, how are you going to find him? You ain't going to find me, much less him. So it's, we, I, it's awful to be lost. It's awful to be lost. Luckily, at the end of the story was he eventually found me. Thank God he found me and we could go on. But I tell you what, he was lost. He was lost and there was nothing I could do. And that's, in our spiritual lives, that's where we find ourselves. We get lost. And we're indifferent and we don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do. In ourselves, we can't get ourselves straightened up. We can't find our way back. But we see here that he reveals his heart because he is pursuing us. And you know, let me tell you something. You don't get found. You don't get saved because you found him. Let me tell you something. You get saved because he found you. He found you. He pursues you until he finds you. 
Of course, he knows where you are. You've wandered off into the wilderness. You've wandered off far away from God. And we see that even that depths of sin that we get ourselves, he come out of glory to go find us in the depths of the miry clay so that he could save us. Amen. He wants to save us, and that's what he's doing. This is what he's doing in the life of lost sinners. We don't get saved because we find him, but because he finds us. Amen. From where we are, the depths of where we are, the mire and filth, he saves us. Do you remember when he did this in your life? For you all that have been saved, and I think most of you have, if not all of you, and uh, is that we, we, we get, we're in a horrible spot. I remember uh, the way that he came looking for me. I remember that I had been running from him, and I'm telling you, I was a miserable soul. And, of course, I figured out uh, later that it was the Holy Spirit's conviction that was dealing with my heart. The shepherd of my soul was pursuing me. Even though I had rejected him and it was me that went into the far country, he pursued me. And it started out that I was just miserable. I was just miserable. I just, I was just, and my wife didn't even know what I was going through. I was just miserable. I was probably mean and everything else. She probably knew that part. But I was miserable, and I was fearful, and I remember at night crying. Even I remember holding my, my little boy, a baby. I'd get him out of his sleep and pull him out of the bed, come home at almost midnight from work, and walk around the house with tears in my eyes saying, Lord, please don't let this little boy grow up like his daddy. Don't let him be like me. I was miserable. What was happening to me? He was pursuing me. He'd come. He found me, and he was trying to woo me back. He didn't stop there, but he was troubling me, and he persisted on. He started sending my best friend that I grew up with, and we had been in college before I got married. We lived together, and he started, he had gotten straightened up, and uh, he is, was faithful to church again, and he started coming to my house several times and saying, when are you, and trying to talk to me and my wife, when are you all going to come back to church? You know you need to get straightened up. I know, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to. I need to do that. You're right. I need to. And so he was wooing me. And he was, here it is. He, what's he doing? He's pursuing me. He's not letting me go. He knows where I'm at. He knows I'm in the miry clay and I can't save myself. And he's wooing me. And so he sends him. And then finally, the last straw was there was a wedding. And it was God's, you know, it was God's way. And the wedding was going to be at my old church, my brother's wedding. So I was going to be in it. Boy, I was dreading that so bad because I just knew. You know how these, these Pharisees would talk to people? I just knew they was going to be scowling down their nose at me and saying, boy, you're a, you're a failure and you've done this and that. But that's not what happened. The Lord had them woo me too when I got in there. And they was all so, so happy to see me. And, oh, we've been missing you. And, boy, we'd love to have you back. You know what happened? The next day, the next night, I was in the house of God. The next night. Six weeks, it comes six Sunday row, uh, nights in a row to church. And on the sixth Sunday night, I got down in an altar and got saved. Why? Not because I found him. It wasn't anything I did. I didn't find him. He found me. Right in the midst of where I was, he came out to where I was. And he started dealing with my heart. And that's the way he's revealing here is he, he comes after us. And he loves us right where we are. And he, he deals with our hearts to save us. Number four, he doesn't, so we see that he's, he's pursuing us. But he, number four, the good shepherd rescues his sheep. It says that in verse five, it says, and when he hath found it. Thank God it doesn't say next that he hit it over the head with the, 
the staff and, and said, you evil, stupid sheep, I've not got any sleep tonight. I skinned my ankles up. I banged myself up. I fell over this hill. I did all these things coming after you, and if it wasn't for you, I'd got some more sleep. And he beat it all the way back to the, thank God he didn't say that. that. It didn't. You know what he did? He came to rescue that sheep. He came to that sheep. He finds us, and he treats us not with hate, not with judgment, but with love. This, this phrase here, when it says, and when he had found it, when it says the lost sheep, the word lost here, and it's, it's apollos, and it's, the, it's only listed two times in Scripture here, and we see it again back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 34, when God's talking about finding his children and bringing them home, the, the children of Israel. We see that he rescues them. It says here in this verse 11 that we're getting ready to read that it says that the, that the religious leaders gave up on the children of Israel when they were scattered. But God says in himself, I will be the one to find them. I'll be the one that will search them out myself, the search and rescue mission. It says in 34.11, says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out i'm the one that's going to do it i know where they are i'm going to go search for them right where they are they're scattered everywhere but i'm going to go and find them myself and it's the exact same words that he's using in this luke chapter 15 when he's talking about the sheep which is you and me the lost i know where you are and i personally am going to come and find you in the midst of that mess that you were in. Thank God that he searches us out. But he don't leave us there when he finds us. He doesn't say, now get home and leave us in that circumstance. But it says he will not only search us out, but he will rescue and minister to the lost sheep. It says, uh, going on in Ezekiel 34, here's what he says he will do. Ezekiel 34, 16. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. He goes on talking about these Pharisees and these that thinks they're good and, and, but they're not and says, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Those that reject me that think that they're ready to go and they're not, but those that are lost, I'm going to pursue and I'm going to bring them and I'm going to heal them and I'm going to minister to them. He doesn't just leave us in the mire. He doesn't just leave us in the broken condition that he finds us, but he picks us up. He rescues us out of the mess. He cleans us up. He binds us up. He takes care of our wounds and ministers to our needs. He doesn't tell us to, uh, he doesn't tell us and say, you find your way back home the way that, the best way you can. I remember, I remember, well, that's what we deserve, isn't it? That's what we deserve is getting cracked over the head and saying, get, get to the house, you, you, you uh, despicable sheep. <laughs> I remember a time or two, I did some despicable things. I remember one night that I, I had to go home and wait, and wait for Dad to show back up. I got, I got out with some friends. I think I've told you this, but I got out with some friends doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, frankly. And, and we, uh, does anybody remember uh, Burger Queen? Not Burger King, but Bur Burger Queen there. Used before Druthers, it was a Burger Queen. And so... Uh, and it might have been Druthers at that time, but whatever it was, I had one of my friends that I, we were about 16, played ball together. So he messed with me and I messed with him. But we found him, his big white Bronco looked like O.J. Simpson's Bronco sitting there in front of the restaurant. 
he was in there eating. So me and a couple of my friends, my brother and myself and maybe one or two other friends, drove up and seen his Bronco sitting there. So we lifted the hood up. Someone had told me if you change the plug wires and order around, it really destroys the way a motor runs. It'll run awful. So I had that motor up, and I was trying to figure out how to do it and switching them around. And I'm sitting there leaned over and trying to get the wire switched around. All of a sudden, I felt one of them tap me on the shoulder, and I, and I sat there and said, uh, hang on, hang on a minute. And, I, and next time, it got a little rougher. Bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, stop it. And I jerked my arm back, looked back, and who was it? It was my dad sitting there looking at me. <laughs> he caught me right in the middle of my mess. And so he knew I was up to no good. <laughs> he knew I was. And so he said one thing to me, get home. <laughs> get home. Boy, I tell you what, that was a long 10 minutes waiting for him. It was an eternity waiting for him to get home. The good news is I can't remember what happened when he got home. I can't remember it, so it must have been not too bad. But that's the way this sheep was. He was guilty. He, was, he deserved judgment. And instead of, the, instead of the master coming and saying, get home, he gets there and he reached down. I'm not condemning, Dad. I would have done the same thing. But I said, he reached down with arms of love and compassion. And he picks him up. You know why? Because the joy of his heart is to find that sheep. He's worried about that sheep. He loves that sheep. And when he finds him, he's not. Have you ever had that deal with somebody, your kid does something stupid, and, you, and they, they really did something stupid, it could have killed them, and instead of jumping all over them when you get them, you're just so glad to get them back in your arms again, to get them safe, to know that they're okay. Now, you may later say something to them about it, but all you can do is just maybe even tears flowing up down your face because you found that which you've been looking for. And they're saved, and no longer are they lost, but you have them. Oh, that's what he did for me in an altar. He found me. And instead of, instead of him telling me all the things that I'd done and all the opportunities he had given me, his mercy washed over me one more time. He healed me, and he washed me, and he set me back on the right path. Oh, what a wonderful thing he did. Thank God he does that. We see that's not where it ends, though. So he saves us and he picks us up. But we see finally, we see that, you know, not only that, but he, he carries the sheep. Amen. He carries the sheep. We're going to see in a minute ago he rejoices, but he carries us. He don't just leave us there. He carries, it says, and he layeth it upon his shoulders. What the sheep deserved was that smack with that rod, but that's not what he done. But he, he reached down and he lifts them up and he puts them on his own shoulders. And he, where is he taking them? He's taking them home. You know, that's where the Lord done for you and me. He comes and finds us in our lostness, in the depths of our lostness, and he reaches down in the mire, and he lifts us up, and he washes us, and he tends to our wounds, and he makes us well. And he's not going to make us get home on our own, but he himself is going to bear our weight, and he's going to be the one to lead us home. He's the one that's going to be guiding us home. He's going to be the one protecting us on our way home. We don't even know how to get home, but he does. And so that's what he's doing in our spiritual lives even today. He's the one that when he saves us, he's the one that's leading us home. He's the one that's caring for you and protecting you. He's the one that has saved you. Thank God that he is the one that is loving us and, and showing mercy instead of judgment. Thank God. Hallelujah. You too are valuable to him. And I am valuable to him. He's rescued us. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy talks about two things, in my opinion. 
It's talking about the joy of pleasing God the Father and what He's asked Him to do. But it's also talking about the joy of being able to present you back found and saved. The love that He has for you that He's revealing in this, these verses shows that the joy was your salvation so that you could have grace because of what He suffered for you and me. Part of that pleasure was rescuing me and you. Oh, he's such a wonderful God and thank him for the hope that he has given us. In Ezekiel, that verse 16 that we read a minute ago says in verse 16, I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. He's the one that's going to bring us. He is the one that's going to carry us. And so he is bringing us home. He's the one that is carrying us home. Sometimes you can get wounds on the way to carrying or to, to save the sheep. I remember this, this cat. It wasn't even our cat. But I seen a cat in despair. We had our pool. Uh, a, a cat come around trying to drink out of her pool. A stray or one of the neighbor's cats. And Marie was on the deck and she hollered for me. And I came running out. And a cat had fallen in the pool and it could not get itself out. It, when it was getting tired. It had been swimming and swimming. And it, and it kept kind of going under and coming back up. And it was clawing. Of course, we knew that it was going to drown. Our number, number two, we also knew it was probably shredding our pool, <laughs> our liner that was inside the pool. And so it was a bad situation. But I knew that cat was getting ready to drown. And so having compassion on it, I just stupidly, uh, I tried first, uh, tried with the net, you know, and the net nowhere near strong enough. All I was doing was breaking the net. So I knew I was going to have to get my own self involved in this to save the cat. So I got down on the side of the pool, and as it come around the next time, I'm trying to save the cat. Instead, it's fighting against me, and as I put my hand in and I lift it out of the water, I'm trying to scoop up under it and throw it up on the deck. It shreds me. It tears me to pieces. I mean, just it's digging a coal mine out of my hand. I mean, it's just tearing me up, and so I have to throw it back in, and I mean, I'm bleeding like crazy. Finally, I get it. I finally get it again. It comes around. I still have mercy on it, but it left scars. It left cuts. And thank God I didn't get infected. But boy, did Lord, the Lord have wounds in his hands when he tried to save you and me. He suffered for you and me because we couldn't save ourselves. He knew we were going down for the last time, and yet he came and died for you and me, much greater than anything I ever suffered. And he loved us so much. I didn't love that cat, but he loves you and me. And he showed himself. And so finally, the good shepherd rejoices over his sheep. Do you know he, do you, you ever have grandparents? And I don't know if they do this as much anymore because I don't know, you don't see as many pictures as it used to. Everything's digital. So now, instead of it coming out of your wallet, you know, used to, these grandpas and grandmas, a grandpa pulled his wallet out and he, you know, this big old string of pictures would come out. No money in his wallet, but he had plenty of he had plenty of pictures. And so of all these pictures of the grandkids come out. Let me show you this one and Johnny and here's what Mary and here's the new one and all these pictures. Now everybody says, let me, let me show you my pictures. We got to, here, I'll forward you a copy of it. You know, we share it on our phone now. So the pic But we see that, do you know the Lord rejoices over you? That he, that he talks about and loves you. It doesn't make sense in this picture. In fact, all three of these, I promise I'm coming to a close here. But we see in all three of these, this parable, this trilogy, there's something that happens after all three of them, we will see. And it's this, this, that there is a celebration at the end of finding that which was lost. Now, when you look at it, it almost makes no sense because you're thinking, you went after a sheep, you went after a coin. Now, you can see the sun. But the other two, you're thinking, you're spending more to rejoice than you save by just not letting them go. 
But the point is, that's how much worth that they were. That it, didn't, it wasn't the value of what was lost. It's the love of what was lost that I could not do without. And that's the way he looks at you. Verse 6 says, and when he cometh home, he's carried him all the way home. He's going to carry us all the way home one day. And when he cometh home, he calleth his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. You mean he would throw a party? That he would call everyone that you're so important to me? That wayward, disobedient sheep was worth calling all of his friends in. Why? Because I just want to share with them. I found Snowball. I found the love that I had, and it didn't perish but i saved it and i loved it more than money more than anything else i saved that which i love and we see that that's what he's showing here the heart of god that he was willing to bankrupt heaven by sending his only son for you and me not because of the and not looking at the expense not looking at the great sacrifice that he was giving everything for when you look at me and you compared to his son how in the world does that make sense so we can't wrap our mind around that you can't wrap your mind around this how in the world would it be worth a big celebration spending all this money just to celebrate the one sheep but it's showing the heart of god it's worth it why his love is so great it's worth it Because he found that which was lost, that which was separated from him now is right against his heart, right against him, and now isn't safe. Oh, you know what that is? That's agape. That's the love of God that gives with no expectation of return. No matter what, his love gives and gives and gives, and that's what he has for you and me. That kind of love, he gave everything for you and me. And so we finish today with verse 7. We see a picture into glory that it doesn't just end with Him. But when you and I get saved, we get this little picture, we get this little snippet right into the, the, the throne room door just opens just a little and we get to see what's going on when a sinner comes home. And here's what it says. This is Him speaking it so we know it happens. It says in verse 7, I say unto you that likewise... Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which needeth no repentance. It's talking about, you're saying, is the word here saying that God loves that person that's ran out on him more than he loves those good people that are serving him? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the ninety and nine, the scribes and the Pharisees whose righteousness, they reject The righteousness of God to hold on to their own. God's Son came to offer them the love, the mercy, the righteousness, the goodness of God. And He offers it and they reject Him and say, we will stand on our own. We don't need you. That's the 99. And it says that all of heaven rejoices when one person realizes that they're lost and they accept the grace, mercy, and love of God and say, I accept you as my Savior. Rescue me. And it says that we get to see that all of heaven rejoices because you found him. But most of all, that he found you. And so that's, we get to see a picture. If Today, we can rejoice because of this, no matter which camp. For, for all of us that are saved, we can rejoice because He found us. 
that we got to experience the joy of him finding us and rescuing us. Thank God he didn't leave me where I was. Thank God that he didn't leave me in that pit, but he brought me out. And thank God that he's still watching me, carrying me, and leading me home. And in you, the same thing. And those that are pursuing him, this is a chance to allow that great shepherd to rescue to allow that shepherd to shed his love and his mercy fresh and new upon you today. And so today we are just rejoicing that today that we have a shepherd and we get to see the heart of him that loves us so much that we can't even hardly understand that kind of love. Aren't you grateful for him today? If you would stand this morning and bow your heads. Oh, Lord, we, we know that you are revealing your heart in this parable today. God, it's your heart. And, Lord, you try to get us so that we can understand, even though we are limited in our understanding. God, we can't see how someone holy and powerful and almighty like you would look at us who have rejected you with such intense love that you send every resource you have of love and mercy to come find us even at the farthest point away from you and that you still reach down with love and mercy and bring us out. All we had to do is just put our faith and cry out to you and you rescue. Lord, I thank you that you're rescuing even today. You rescued me. You rescued almost, Lord, everyone that's here today, if not all. And God, I thank you that you're still rescuing today. You still see hurting hearts. You still see those that are lost. You still see those that are in the far country and they're in the mire, in the clay, and the enemy's coming. And God, we know that you're still pursuing souls today and we thank you that, God, you've not given up until the moment that that trumpet sounds, you're still pursuing lost sheep. 